This is The Dime, a 10-minute dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to The Dime. This week, we've got a very special guest, Bruce Eckfeldt, strategic business coach, author, and host of two very popular podcasts, Thinking Outside the Bud and Scaling Services. Bruce, thanks for your time. How are you doing today? I'm great, Ryan. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on today. Absolutely. Before we get started, can you give a little background about your experience and how you got into the cannabinoid industry? Yeah. Um, so long story short, so originally actually I was an architect, but I got into software late 90s, um, worked with a couple of big consulting agency here in New York um, and uh, focused mainly on product strategy, product development, user experience design. Uh, I got more involved in tech, uh, how, how to build out these technical products uh, and then founded a tech company back in 2002. Grew and scaled that, um, sold it about six years ago, uh, and pivoted into uh, coaching, advising and coaching. And I picked up a couple of cannabis clients uh, pretty quickly and just got fascinated by the space. Personally, was not a big cannabis user up until um, uh, about five years ago, I broke my back. And so I ended up 17-hour uh, surgery and uh, recovery. And someone said, hey, you, you should try cannabis. <laughs> so I started using uh, really as part of my post-surgery recovery. And it was phenomenal. Worked really well. I ended up finding myself sleeping really well and all these things. So, um, you know, became a user at that point, um, really kind of out of a medical point of view. Um, and uh, started the podcast to really build up my network, understand the space better from a business point of view. And uh, for the last four or five years now, I've been working, um, uh, probably about half my business has been focused on cannabis and cannabis-related companies, uh, helping them figure out how to grow and scale. Right? And it's really strategic coaching. right? So I help them, CEOs and leadership teams, figure out what their strategy is, how are they going to execute on it, how to build up their company, how to build up the culture, how to build up the team, uh, and just work with them on that process. Awesome. And this week, I think the topic is perfect for your background and the kind of blend between the in-industry and the outside industry. So yeah. I guess the first question I have for you would be, what is the number one issue that arises in cannabis that is typically overlooked by outside industry? Um, I think the... <laughs> Uh, with number one, I don't know. There's many number ones, I guess. Uh, I, you know, I think the biggest one is the perception that you know there's just all this money in cannabis and it's you know falling off the trees or falling off the plants, and you just need to stand there with your arms open and you're going to make up to money. Um, you know, the fact is, is like any industry, uh, there's challenges, right? And the whole reason that um, you know not everyone is in it is because you have to figure out how to navigate those challenges. There are particular ones in cannabis which are hard, um, mainly. Uh, or a lot of them kind of stemming from the fact that we're still federally illegal. Um, and while the states have legalized uh, and it does allow people to operate cannabis companies, it does cause some problems uh, when it comes to normal course of business. Uh, and, and some of them, I think, get very surprising for company people, entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs, businesses coming into cannabis that are not familiar with it uh, can kind of get caught flat-footed or there are things that you wouldn't expect to have to deal with because you certainly don't have to deal with them in other industries. Can you name one of those that... Yeah. I mean, it's a, like I said, a lot of them derive from the legal issue, the fact that we're federal legal. Um, the big one, I would say, is banking. Um, you know, all, all the normal financial services, institutions, processes, credit card transactions, loans, banking services, all that kind of stuff that every other industry uh, that is a legal industry has access to. You know, unfortunately, um, cannabis does not. Um, and, and it stems from the fact that it is declared federally illegal. So the banks can't, uh, or in order to do business with cannabis companies, it gets quite complicated because they're technically facilitating illegal activity, uh, which requires all this kind of reporting issues. And it either means that services are very expensive, or it means that 
banks just won't touch it. Um, there's actually a couple of cases uh, recently that um, uh, founder of uh, uh, Ease, one of the, the payment services, just uh, pled guilty to bank fraud and um, uh, financial fraud, and uh, you know because they were skirting around the issues. And, and in the end, while it was the state, it was legal for the states. It's not legal federally, and so it causes a lot of problems there. So, bank accounts are an issue. Credit card processing is an issue. All these things, which, like I said, normally most companies, most industries, just take for granted. They're just kind of fundamental services, are are not uh, are not that way in cannabis. It's changing, and hopefully, there's some legislation that might get passed. There's a Safe Banking Act that will change some of that stuff for cannabis, but it's still uh, it's still a huge issue. So, banking is certainly a big one. Um, the other one, it's somewhat related, is uh, from a tax point of view. Uh, again, because we're federally legal, the tax code uh, does not allow you, the IRS tax code does not allow you to deduct uh, business expenses for illegal activity, illegal businesses. It all stems from a 1981 case from a, a, a drug dealer success, successfully sued the IRS uh, to be able to deduct his business expenses for his illegal drug business. Uh, and they immediately changed the tax law, <laughs> 280E <laughs> section of the tax code that um, that rectified that. Uh, but the problem is for cannabis businesses, uh, you, your taxation situation is quite ugly. Um, you you end up getting taxed at a very, very high level because you cannot deduct normal uh, business operating expenses. Um, there's some movies around it. There's some things you can do with pushing things back to cost of goods sold. You know, you can minimize it. But the fact is, is still either you're paying lots of taxes or you're paying a lot of money to avoid paying lots of taxes. So uh, it is a it is a, a non-trivial significant problem for most cannabis companies. Yeah. And I think you did a really good job of kind of breaking those down. Those are two of the most popular ones where people who are approaching us about interest in entering the space and we present them with some of these obstacles. They're like, what are you talking about? Why would that be that way? And, and that's some of the obstacles and the challenges that the operators in the space are currently facing. Kellen, is that, are those two the, the two main popular ones that you've experienced? Yeah, I mean, I have personal experience with both of those uh, issues, and it actually caused me to uh, motivated me to switch kind of my career path is from an from operating a facility in the cannabis space to kind of providing more ancillary services to it, if you will. Um, it just became really, really frustrating uh, when, as a scientist, if I'm trying to do an R and D project, instead of being like, "Hey, what's our budget? Can I go do this? How do I purchase it?" all of those things just created more obstacles and yeah. it just never was as cut and dry as like, Hey, call up Thermo, order these chemicals, and then you can do this. It's Thermo doesn't take cash. Then the banking thing is challenging. <laughs> Any last bit of money you can put into the bank is used to keep the lights on in terms of paying you utilities yeah. and all these other normal business expenses. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it just, it became a headache. And, and not only that, I mean, 280E was huge. Um, unfortunately, for one of the companies I worked for, they weren't aware of 280E. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, their accountant was like, uh, so it's been a year and now here's your tax bill. Yeah. And it's a very, very large 10-digit number. Uh -huh. And so <laughs> it's a, it, it was uh, crippling to the, co to the company. Yeah. I mean, they're still around, right? But it just became way more frustrating to try to operate in the space to, to achieve normal goals that you would in any other business that it just wasn't possible in the, in the cannabis space. And so I, I'm really looking forward to those changes because I think it'll, it'll be uh, an accelerator event for yep. a lot of the R and D projects that have been kind of in the back of a lot of these people's minds. At least that's my opinion on it, but it yep. definitely affected me negatively. Uh, sure. <laughs> in yeah. Space. I've heard uh, horror stories of people, um, 
trying to pay their tax bill and and because they're you know dealing with cash it turns out the IRS does not like it when you pay your tax bill by cash so they actually charge you I can't remember if it's 5% or 10% or something like that so not only do you have to pay more tax than else, but if you're paying in cash you got to pay a premium <laughs> surcharge <laughs> Is that cannabis tax on a cannabis tax? Yeah, exactly. And it's just full of these cases. No, I mean, the fact is, is that everyone has to deal with this, right? So it's, you know, you if you can figure out how to be a successful cannabis company or, or you know, it's so somewhat of a level playing field, everyone has to figure out how to deal with these challenges. And if you can figure out how to deal with them well, that's an advantage, right? Like it can be a strategic tool. I mean, the other ones that I think that people don't think about it as much, um, I mean, certainly there's the state line issue. So one of the big challenges, if you're a plant touching company, you know, normally you would centralize all your operations. You would, you know, figure out how to, you know, manufacture in one spot and then distribute. Well, you can't do that with cannabis. If you're touching plant or if what if the material you have is is containing THC, you know, you can't cross state lines. So you see these kind of crazy things of people like putting machinery on flatbeds and they, you know, they drive it across the state line with nothing in it so they can take the the packaging machine to the next state and do their packaging there on Tuesdays and then they run it to a different state on Wednesday. I mean, there's ways of getting around it, but this whole state line thing can be really interesting in terms of how it affects operations and your strategy. And then the other one that I think is just kind of coming to bear right now is all the intellectual property and the protection from an IP point of view is that, you know, again, because we're federally legal, you, you cannot use uh, federal uh, services or federal uh, federal courts to protect IP related to cannabis specific claims right so you can get around it by doing kind of this is this is an herbal extraction technology or you know brands that are not cannabis specific and stuff but you know trademarked intellectual property is still kind of up in the air and exactly how some of this stuff is going to play out again you can do some of the stuff at the state level but it's complicated you you know if you're if you're operating in California and and uh, you want to protect your stuff in, in Colorado well if someone else has already captured that in Colorado you can, you know it's a state by state game so I think these things end up really kind of changing the the context changing the uh, playing field for a lot of folks in terms of how you approach cannabis or how you grow and scale a cannabis company I want to ask a uh, side question on the first point is as these regulations adjust and these vertically integrated companies decide, okay, we're not really the strongest in cultivation. We're better in processing or in distribution. Do you see a lot of these companies that have scaled to vertical integrations kind of selling off bits and pieces and then reorging and doubling down on their strengths? So how do you kind of see that working out? Because that's going to be a big strategic difference as these companies kind of throw back their card and decide, okay, we're going to focus on our strengths now and really double down in those areas. Yeah. Well, I mean, you see this playing out in lots of different industries. I mean, if you look at microprocessors, if you look at, you know, the PC market, you know, Apple took a very proprietary, you know, integrated approach, right? They own everything, everything from the retail side to the manufacturing, the software design, um, you know, chip manufacturing. I mean, they've, they're a highly vertically integrated group. You know, other people like Windows and Microsoft and stuff like that would, you know, took a very, hey, we're just going to build the operating system. Everyone else can build the machines. Anyone can write software for it. So, so it's a little bit of a strategy or a little bit of a market maturity. What I generally find is that early markets, you that people tend successful companies tend to be vertically integrated because there's no standards and there's no um, uh, ecosystem to be able to have specialization right so you you've got to you've got to do the growing you've got to process you've got to brand it you've got to um, dispense it you've got to you know you have, you have to control a lot of it to be able to create the product you want as a market matures you will see standards you will see uh, you know ecosystem a, a market for the various pieces so now I can say look we're really great at processing I don't have to grow because 
that's the only way I know what I'm going to get. There are standards. There are ways of very verified. There's a market for it. I can go buy biomass, you know, at a quality and a volume and a uh, in a way that I want to be able to process, and vice versa. Like I don't need to be able to do the dispensing. I don't need to do the branding and the packaging. Other people can be experts in that, but it, it takes a while for that market to mature, for enough players to be in there where there's competitive pricing. And you'll see, I mean, I think some some groups will still want to have a high degree of vertical integration just because of the nature of what they're producing and the control that they want over it. Um, but I think generally you'll see specialization happen over time. People will choose that part of the chain that they want to be really, really good at, and they will focus on that and let other people do what they do well. Yeah, I think that's a great breakdown. And then kind of going back to the 280E, I don't think our listeners really understand how much of a hindrance that is in some of these large operators from like a cash standpoint. And some of these business expenses that are not able to be written off, once they're able to, what's that going to look like to their books for their valuation standpoint? I mean, is that just going to be cash that's all of a sudden available for them? Um, I mean, to some extent. I mean, you know, I guess I I generally assume that valuations uh, have anticipated or have have baked in that that price right like baked in the fact that this will happen at some point now you know as that becomes more or less likely in a shorter or long period of time those valuations may change a little bit but you know people have already kind of value that people people assume and i think with reasonable um you know it's reasonable too to assume that at some point that stuff will get rectified or that it will get changed um you know it's a little bit of game of win um, in terms of how it impacts the businesses i mean I, to some extent, yes, it means that they'll have more capital to kind of grow and, and scale. Um, but quite honestly, I mean, uh, you know, it's going to happen with everyone at the same time. And like I said, it's somewhat baked into the price. So I think they're, you know, I think it's more of an issue if it doesn't happen sooner rather than later. How hard is it going to be for some of these companies? Um, I, I don't think it's going to be a like all of a sudden everything just starts to explode because the 280 is is changed. But yeah, it, it's going to be. You know, it's gonna it's gonna shift the finances and how people deal with the uh, the business side. Let's talk about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. That's right. No more excuses. Get your lazy ass off the couch. Go start a podcast. There's the creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Once again, no more excuses. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Could it be easier? Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. They're paying us for this ad. Thank you very much, Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. And I, I, I wonder as more time goes on, is there going to be more of a separation between the small guys and the big guys? Because that, that difference, like you were saying before, about understanding how the game is played and being able to put things in different buckets is an expensive one. And cannabis at its, yeah. at its core is an extremely expensive one. So do you think the difference between the small guys and the big guys is really separating? Or do you think there's still an opportunity for one of these smaller fish that's maybe not as popular to catch a truly of a green thubs, a Cresco in a, in a large scale way? Well, I think there's always going to be opportunities at various levels of the market. I mean, I don't think that um, uh, it means that you're going to you're going to crowd out all of the smaller players. Uh, but yes, I, I, honestly, I don't think it's so much the the smaller and the big players inside cannabis right now. It's the big players outside of cannabis that are going to get into cannabis, <clears throat> right? When when big pharma gets involved in this, I mean, even the Crescos and stuff, they're going to get clobbered, right? So it, it's um, 
you know, I think you're dealing with, you know, you've got the really small fish and these medium fish, which are the large fish right now, but you don't, you know, the, the, the megalodons still haven't come in to the waters yet. Right. And when the, the laws change and, and federal stance changes, yeah, you're, you're going to see, you know, big shifts in the market. You know, that said, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a dynamic growing market. There's going to be, there's still going to be lots of opportunities. I'm, I'm, a big believer in if you can find a niche strategy, you can create a very nice business out of it. But yeah, if you if your goal is to take over the world, you're going to have to battle some pretty big players, both that are in the market right now, but a lot of players that are just not even in the water. Yeah, the game's going to change pretty big when Johnson and Johnson's enters the competition, and people yeah, yeah. are like, "Whoa, who are these guys? When did they get in?" Like, well, we just bought everybody, so now yeah, we, exactly. are the king, we are the kings in town now. Yeah, and it's, and it's that's what they're going to do. Right. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's, 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 it's very clear. And that's that, honestly, that's a lot of the strategy work that I do is kind of figuring out how to position these companies so that they're either we have a niche enough play so that we can have a protected or you know a, a position that we can protect reasonably well, or we just are super attractive as a acquisition target. Right. So it's gonna be a lot easier for these companies to roll up and buy some of these groups than it is to build their own. So, hey, why not just be a really attractive piece of bait? Dylan, do you have any favorite outside targets that you think will come in and any sort of egregious predictions in, in that regard? I mean, Johnson Johnson, I think they've kind of like dipped their toe in through some back back, back alleyways already. Uh-huh. Um, I think Big Pharma, though. I mean, Altria, the big tobacco and Big Pharma are kind of the two that stand out in my mind. I could see maybe Cargill. Right. Um, I know that they're private, but Cargill is huge. Right. Cargill is huge. And Based on the fact that the hemp industry is moving closer to commoditization and uh, Cargill runs agricultural commodities, right? Pretty much. Cannabis, I think, will become a commodity. And I could see Cargill just kind of owning that, continuing to own the, the agricultural commodity space by making a bunch of really large acquisitions of the strongest cultivators in the space. And at the end of the day, if you look at the supply chain of cannabis and any other product that's generated in the, in that space, it's, it's all based on the plant and the agricultural product of the the flower. And so by controlling the, the flower, I think that they will be inherently have the ability to manipulate everything downstream from that, from that perspective. So I could see like a car deal coming in and drop in $50 billion to acquire some of the larger players in the space to, just now own it. You know what I mean? Yep. Bruce, do you have a prediction? Yeah. I mean, look, I think the, um, the challenge is, or I think that the thing about cannabis is, is multi sort of threaded, right? I mean, we've got the medical side, we've got adult use side, we've got hemp, we've got industrial hemp, you know, the CBD, like th- there's various pieces here. I think some of these are going to play out in different ways. I think the, uh, I, I think industrial hemp is going to be its own thing, right? Like, I think, and, and until those markets really mature and sell those, all those production uh, chains, you know, can accept hemp fiber versus pulp versus wood fiber, like that, that will be its own thing. I think the the question on the kind of consumable cannabis side, yeah, I mean, I I would expect that you're going to end up with something like we have in, you know, say beer and alcohol, where you've got a, you know, some big players, right? You've got the Budweisers, you've got the cores, you know, you've got these big national brands. And then you've got all these kind of craft brands that, um, you know, are regional and and local that are still strong, great companies. And, you know, yes, they get kind of bought up by the bigger players once they get big enough and stuff. But I I think you'll, you'll see some kind of market distribution that looks like that in the cannabis space. And I think mainly because you're, it's going to be both, um, kind of a consumable, but it's also going to have this kind of artisan craft angle to it as well. So I think you're always going to have some kind of craft element to, to cannabis, particularly on the flower side. 
Yeah, I also wonder if first mover advantage is in play here because the space is so dynamic that if one of these large Budweiser or Pepsi comes in and purchases this large conglomerate, is that going to be a strategic advantage or is that going to hurt them because then one of their competitors could pivot in? It's going to be such an interesting chess match from like a, an, a strategy dynamic to understand when the the right time is to attract one of these partners and to gobble up one of these larger fish that say, hey, like we're a buyout candidate and and kind of how that unfolds and, and that speed that unfolds. There's so many variables in play. It's going to be make a really interesting next six to 12 yeah. months. I mean, the, the, the challenge is this is unlike any other industry because of this federal legalization issue. So in another any other industry where you'd have an early stage, you know, you'd have an early stage industry and things develop. And you've got these early players and they grow and then the bigger players start to come in and they start to roll up and they can start to consolidate. It all happens kind of naturally and fluid. Right. Right now, the problem is the big players, they're all they're relegated to the sidelines because of the legal issues. So all, all of these companies are kind of growing in this Petri dish and, you know, and they're getting bigger than they normally would. And things are kind of playing out in this weird microcosm. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone's going to blow a whistle and all of these new players are going to come onto the field and it's going to be. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's going to be tr- pretty dramatic. I think there's going to be, um, I mean, you know, first mover event. I mean, I, I mean, I think there, everyone's going to want to move quickly because there's no reason not to. Um, there's nothing yet to be figured out, or at least there, there's no like, oh, let's dip our toe in the water. Like the water is going. I mean, like people just need to get in the space. They're just not because of the legal side. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of big, bold moves very, very quickly by the big players. And then then it's going to calm or things are going to kind of play out. And then you'll start to see more activity six, 12 months afterwards. Because I think everyone, you know, these players are literally, they're teed up on the sidelines. They've got their bags of cash. And they're just waiting for that whistle to go. Yeah, we've heard some rumblings too. And it just, if if some of the things that we've heard go down, it's just an absolute game changer and just changes the dynamic of how the whole space is played. So it'll definitely be a fun uh yeah, I think the I think the one dynamic that will will really impact things is I think you're, you're still going to have a state by state market because these states are not going to just oh great we're federally legal like uh, anyone can sell weed in my state now like no they just they drop millions of dollars on these licenses and everything so I think the big issue is going to be that this what what states put in place or what restrictions and policies states put in place to handle uh, interstate uh, sale of of cannabis uh, I, I, it's not going to be a, a uh, immediate federal market, right? You're gonna, you're, you're. It's gonna look fairly similar from uh, uh, how, how the markets play out and how the state by state commerce works. I mean, you'll have, you'll probably have some things change fairly quickly around it, but it's gonna take a while for that really to to reformulate. Cool. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests two questions. In your experience, the biggest lesson that you've learned or takeaway to kind of express on to the next generation on in my experience in cannabis, I've learned. So my experience in cannabis, I've learned that uh, not to make any assumptions. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's kind of true in life, but I think, uh, you know, mo- most of my harder learnings in cannabis, uh, both directly and indirectly, have been because I've assumed that other industries work this way or that's the way it works other places, that this is the way it must work in cannabis. And, and so I'm constantly double checking myself in terms of, okay, can I, can I reasonably make this assumption over here? Uh, I, I would say that's kind of the big takeaway for me. That's a good one. And the last time you consumed any cannabinoids? Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
So recently, to, I mean, we've had people on the show do it, so it's it's instantaneous. This is only an audio recording, but if it was a video, I think people would enjoy that moment. Uh, so prediction time. Which of the issues today will be the first to change, and which one do you think will have the biggest impact? Bruce, you go first. I, I think the banking stuff, I think there's so much pressure on the banking side because it just it, it doesn't help anybody. I mean, no one likes the banking situation right now. So I, I suspect you'll get some change on the banking side. Um, uh, I, I think that's going to be pretty big. Um, I mean, look, I think the federal, you know, changing federal scheduling of cannabis is going to be huge. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen as quickly as we kind of hope. And I and actually I don't I don't think it's going to be quite as huge as we think it's going to be because it's there's so many ripple effects that have to happen once that changes that it's not going to be like, okay, I wake up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden there's, you know, cannabis plants everywhere, you know, growing around me. It's going to, it's going to take a while. I mean, I agree. I think banking is going to facilitate the the largest change in the space. I mean, you're talking getting access to these large companies that are trying to grow as fast as possible. And now you're, you're giving them access to the gasoline they need to, to grow. So um, being able to take loans and, um, generate capital through the banking system for growth is, is going to be an absolute game changer right now, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I wish you guys didn't say banking because I definitely agree with that. And from some of the reading that I've done, it's March 5th today. And uh, some of the rumors have been early March. So the second or third week in March, something like that can be introduced. And Hopefully that's what does go down. Obviously, the the guy in the IRS came out, I think, last week and said that he's not happy with the cash stipulation. And you can understand why, right? It's it's dangerous and it's it's harder for him. So if if he's making noise like that, obviously yeah. there's some conversations going on and hopefully we'll get some change soon and that the space can get some of the much needed relief it it deserves. Yeah. So Bruce, where can our listeners find you, get in touch with you? Do you have any social media handles you want to shout out? Yeah. Um, uh, easiest way. My website is eckfelt.com, E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T.com. My email is just bruce at eckfelt.com. Um, yeah, I'm Bruce Eckfeld on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn and things like that. You can, I'm, I'm pretty unique in terms of the name. You should be able to find me. Uh, podcast is thinkingoutsidethebud.com. So you can find the uh, website and then we're on all the major platforms. So you can search for us there. Great. We'll link it up all in the show notes. And for all the listeners out there, thanks for subscribing. Please leave us a review and then uh, check out Bruce's podcast. It's awesome, especially the one with Kellen on it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for your time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.